welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning, everyone. For those of you watching at home, the live stream, I think, just started. So we apologize for the little technical difficulty there. And we're going to say happy 4th of July, or at my household, we say happy day after your birthday, Dad. You forgot. I see. Some of you forgot. That's okay. I take gift cards. So I want to let you know, we are so glad you joined us for worship today on this wonderful Independence Day. And we remember, of course, as we've prayed, as we've spoken already, our true freedom is in Jesus Christ. And we are so grateful for his presence. And we remember we use our freedom to glorify him. We use our, our lives to point people to his goodness in our lives. Now, series in Jonah, if you haven't been with us this whole time, uh, this Sunday and next are our last two sermons in this book. My prayer has been that you would be transformed by God's word, not just informed, but that we'd be shaped into the likeness of Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 29, he says, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So that means that God intends for you to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. I want you to say this word transform with me, transform. It's not about being informed only. It's about being transformed. The spirit of God is here that we might hear from his word. We might sing these songs and pray these prayers. We might partake of this bread and cup so that we would be simply informed. No that would be transformed into the likeness of Christ. It would be shaped into the person who doesn't just understand the truths of the gospel, but actually expresses the goodness of the gospel. People should be able to look at your life and my life and say, so that is what the goodness of God looks like. May it be so, is our prayer here at CPC. You know, we are ambassadors for Christ. That is our calling We get to show our neighbors what the love of God looks like, not just in words, but in action. And so we come to God's word today. We come as we prepare for the bread and the cup today, asking Jesus's own spirit, that spirit who lives in us and among us as followers of Christ, that guides us into all truth to say, Holy Spirit, transform me today. Use me to show the world a little glimpse of what you look like. So when we read about Jonah today, so here's the challenge, because our challenge is going to be, we'll look at Jonah, we're going to see his faults again, because we see it again and again and again. It'd be so easy for us to say, oh, that Jonah, man, he really messes up. I have tended to find in the 26 years of me pastoring churches that when the Holy Spirit is convicting us, it generally isn't to point at other people. I'm just a little hint, okay? When the Holy Spirit is convicting tends to make that finger point back at, guess who? Myself, ourselves. May we be open to the transforming work of the Spirit of God, not as, not as we condemn ourselves, but we open ourselves up to, Lord, how do you want me to change? So would you pray with me as we go into God's Word? Lord, show me where my allegiance is not centered around you. Transform me from the inside out. Help me to pay attention with my ears and, and my eyes. And pay attention as we partake of bread and partake of the cup. Pay attention as we sing songs. 
pay attention to my emotions, my excitement, and also my conviction. Help me pay attention to you, Lord, that we might be transformed into your likeness for your glory and ultimately for even my joy as you shape me into your likeness, Lord, a life of joy serving you, a life of obedience. We ask this in your name, King Jesus, amen. If you want to have your Bibles open, I'm going to go through Jonah 3, 10, and then through the first verses of chapter 4. In verse 10, we see that Jonah, there's a missed opportunity. When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, how they turned from the evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, I just want to pause. This is great news if you've been following the story. God's rightful wrath against this rebellious city, Nineveh, has been averted because of its sincere turning away in their hearts, turning away from their evil ways and turning towards the one true God. And so keep in mind, this is a whole pagan city who chooses, perhaps for the first time, to open up belief in this foreign Jewish God named Yahweh. Could this be an opportunity for Jonah, the prophet of God, to follow up with this entire city of how to follow the one true God? Was this an opportunity for Jonah to enter into the city and start leading him through the Torah and, and hosting prayer times and talking about how to turn away from their idols, right? And turn away from their evil ways. Was this an opportunity for Jonah once their hearts were open to show them what a good God looks like? And then Jonah 4.1 comes, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Can you imagine Jonah at a Billy Graham crusade and like thousands of people are going down and they're crying and their hearts are, are wrenched with, with wanting to know the love of God and Jonah's like, I'm out of here. I'm gone. Can you imagine? That's what Jonah's doing here. The Ninevites have soft hearts. They're ready to change, but Jonah refuses to obey God. Obey him completely, at least. He obeyed him partially. He preached but I don't think that was the only thing that God wanted Jonah to do. In his heart, Jonah was not obeying. He failed to complete the mission. Now, I'll be honest with you. I can identify with Jonah. I can understand where he's coming from. When God called me and my wife, Katie, out of a church in Newport Beach 10 years ago to a church in LA in the heart of Skid Row where thousands of people sleep and do business on the streets outside of the door of our church amongst the thousands of people in, made in God's image and yet at the same time some of the poorest of the poor and also some of the richest of the rich came to our church and trying to do church and that situation was not easy. So I remember distinctly a conversation I had with the Lord. I have to admit I asked God, are you sure this assignment wasn't meant for a different Pastor Yi, because there's a lot of Yi's in the world. Are you sure? Because I'm doing okay in Newport Beach. We're doing just fine, Lord. Are you sure? I battled with God. I'll even admit there were some times after I took the call and discovered that this was maybe pretty hard to do. I was angry. God, what? You know, why'd you call me here if you weren't going to make this easier, Lord? I have to admit, I had some Jonah feelings myself. I understand where Jonah's coming from. 
Because I remember distinctly, I told the Lord, I said Hawaii would be a future destination, not this. But you know what? Eight years of yes challenge. But I look back, blessing. I mean, God did some good stuff. Even my birthdays of the day, so on Facebook, you know, people from your past, and it's like, wow, I haven't talked to you since seventh grade, but anyways, thanks. But also, I had people from that church, and I remember their stories, and some of the people who would say, oh, happy birthday, Pastor Tim. I remember her, I won't say her name, but a drug addict who turned her life around and became one of our church leaders, and man, what a joy, and actually one of the top doctors in L.A. County, and, and he was at our church, too, and serving communion, and we had the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor coming and partaking. And I said, that wasn't Tim. That was Jesus, right? It's obedience. It's obedience. But I understand Jonah being angry. I understand praying, God, why me? Why me? I don't want to go serve that place. I don't want to go through this dark time. I, want to, I don't want to go through this trial, God. Why me? You ever had a why me moment with you and God? It's okay, have those moments. But know when we lean into obedience, in the long run, God will reveal his faithfulness. Not always in the moment. God softened our hearts. May God soften your heart. If there's something in your life, a difficult time, a difficult thing coming up that you just need to trust God more. Say, God, soften my heart. It is okay to be angry, but don't stay angry at God. But it's okay, but don't stay there. Bring it to the Lord. Let him transform. Maybe even today could be a day where you would experience freedom from bitterness, freedom, right, from being angry with God, freedom from seeing, oh, there's no point in all of this. May God give you that freedom today. See, what Jonah should have done is start ministering to the city, but instead he turned his back on it. And in doing so, he was again running away from God in a different kind of way, wasn't he? Jonah is supposed to be this representative of Israel's good God, Yahweh, but he failed his mission. It was a missed opportunity. And friends, I don't want you to miss out. Missed opportunity. So it's two in our ears and our eyes and our hearts as we continue looking at his word. In Jonah 4.2, second thing we learn is not to twist God's Word. So we don't want to miss an opportunity. And secondly, not to twist God's word. Jonah 4.2, for I knew that you, God, are a gracious God and merciful and relenting from disaster. Jonah berates God for being too kind. That's what he's doing. The repenting Ninevites, Jonah doesn't think deserve God's graciousness. I've noted before that there are parallels between Jonah's reaction and the older brother in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, the elder brother, Luke 15, Jonah is acting like a self-righteous older brother who refuses to celebrate with the father because he's being too gracious. Isn't Jonah just like the elder brother? So Jonah is obviously a prophet who knows his scripture because he, what he does is quotes Exodus 34, 6 to 7 to God himself. His own words. Because in Exodus 34, Yahweh reveals to Moses that he is compassionate and gracious, that God does forgive wickedness. And as much as I appreciate Jonah's honesty, it also reveals his immaturity. Because just speaking your truth doesn't guarantee that it's good. 
I'm gonna pause there for a moment. In a day and age where speaking your truth is the most important thing, I'm gonna tell you, always speaking your truth does not mean it's always good. It's always gonna be good for you individually or good for your community. That just because you speak your truth doesn't guarantee it's a good thing for you or anyone. I'm just gonna pause there and let you chew on that for a while and send me emails. Okay, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> All right, so he speaks his truth. But Jonah has selectively left out a portion of Exodus 34 where it reveals that God says he would not leave the guilty unpunished. So in other words, Jonah creates a caricature of God, a reductionist picture of God, a straw man for Jonah to critique. Jonah is abusing the Bible by selecting only the parts he likes. Aren't you glad you don't do that? Jonah abuses the Bible by selecting only the parts he likes to make his case against God's mercy towards the Ninevites. Now let's pause again. If I were Jonah, I might not want to use the Bible against God. I don't know. You may not win that argument. Just a note, okay? Tim Keller says it this way. We are reading and using the Bible rightly only when it humbles us, critiques us, and encourages us with God's love and grace despite our flaws. Real key word is our flaws. We didn't say your flaws. God, thank you for revealing their flaws, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Our flaws. Jonah keeps trying to point at other shortcomings, the Ninevites, right? When God is trying to get Jonah to look at himself, Jonah is using the Bible to justify his anger, justify his judgmentalism, to deflect from his own disobedience. Jonah's using God's word to deflect from his own sin. He's twisting it. You see, God is not tricked by our weak efforts to deflect blame onto others. See, the gospel says that you are more sinful and broken than you ever imagined, but more loved and forgiven than you ever dared hope. But it begins with you allowing the Spirit to point to yourself. Search my heart, O oh God, is what the Bible says. Search my heart. Point this way. The Holy Spirit tends to point to you first before you start pointing at others' deficits. We don't twist God's word. Thirdly, as we look at verse three, we learn to not despair over God's word. It says here, therefore now, O Lord, Jonah says, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is so distraught that he'd rather end his life than obey God. Jonah would rather die than obey God back in chapter one. And so this is a mirror, right, happening again. When he was close to death at sea, he said, I'd rather die than obey you, Lord. In fact, in Jonah 1.12, he said to them, the sailors, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And at first glance in that story, it looks like Jonah is being altruistic, for he truly is willing to sacrifice his life to save the sailors. But we also learned last week that Jonah was really being selfish. How so? 
He was preferring death by drowning over living to go and preach God's word to Nineveh. I'd rather die than go share your word with them. Jonah would rather be thrown into a sea than obey God and take the chance that God might be gracious to people that Jonah doesn't think deserve it. So Jonah is distraught in this moment and wanting death more than wanting a life that aligns with God's word. Now, I want to mention here, some of us have been Christians a long time. And I guarantee you, sometime in your life, you're going to come across something in God's word you're not going to like. You don't want to obey it. Let me give you just a few examples of some things that might be difficult to obey. Go and make disciples of all nations. Love your enemies. Take up your cross and follow me. These are hard words to follow. Obeying God's word is difficult. And at some point in your Christian life, you're not going to like something you hear God ask you to do. But I promise you, when you see Jesus face to face, you will not regret any moment you chose to obey. That your future self will be glad that your past self chose obedience. You get the picture? That you won't despair over your current struggle if you think about your future self who will one day see with clarity the goodness of God that your present self finds hard to see. Your future self will be glad your past self chose to trust God right now in that dark time you're going through, in that difficult decision. Your future self would want you to look back on obedience in the moment now. So even if you mainly see darkness right now, hold on to the reality that there is light ahead in the presence of Jesus. So don't despair over God's word. He gives us his word. He invites us to obey because in the long run, it is a life of joy and peace and goodness in the big picture of it all. Our very important, but our little tiny life, our present self can only see what we can see. You will never regret your future self with much more perspective on right now to choose to obey. Something difficult in your life right now to choose obedience, to choose trust. I've been sharing the story of the singer Jane who goes by Nightbird. If you remember, she has just a 2% chance of survival from the cancer that's spread throughout her body. We're going to hear more and more updates from her in the weeks to come, but she insists that something unimaginably beautiful and impossibly redemptive can happen from all the pain, particularly of this past year. And she's not just talking about the redemption if she wins America's Got Talent, right, and millions of dollars, whatever the prize is. No, she's not talking about that. She is talking about living in the present, in the promise of Jesus' redemptive hope that is certain in the future. That is what she's leaning on. She says this, if you listen for it in my music and look for it, you're going to see Jesus all over it. She's getting criticized because she's not as outspoken as some Christians would like her to be about her faith. But she's not hiding it, I'm telling you. Her trust in this moment is Jesus. 
You'll see Jesus all over my music. Asked if she was scared about dying from the cancer, she replied, I'm ready to die whenever it's time for me to die. Man, if we walked out with just that, we're done. That's all you need. I'm ready to die whenever it's time for me to die. Jesus, Father, Spirit. She says it's a miracle itself. Here's the miracle she's claiming, that she's not bitter about the cancer diagnosis, that she's not bitter about her husband abandoning her when the cancer came back the third time. She says, that's a miracle right there. Instead, what she's doing, she's singing on the world's biggest stage about finding hope amidst so much darkness. And then she says, the note that I've been given to sing in the orchestra of life is short and insignificant, but I want to sing it well. She believes she is still alive to be a gift to others. I have a question for you. What is the note that God has given you to sing on this earth now in this season? Sing it well for the glory of God. You may say, oh, Pastor Tim, you don't know how dark it is right now. I know I don't. I know God does. I know your future self will look back at your present self and tell you to keep trusting God and obey God and trust in him. What note has God given you to sing? Some of you are in a good season, amen. Sing your note well. Some of you are in a very challenging or unknown, uncertain season. Sing your note well. What is that song God is asking you? You know, you're just part of this larger orchestra, this larger score, right, of music. Sing your note well. Even when your circumstances aren't the ones you would have chosen, God wants to shine through your life to a world in need. You are to represent the goodness of God to others. Think of that word, represent. You are to re-present the goodness of God. If you've received the goodness of God in your life ever, you are to represent it to other people that they might taste it. You don't even know. There probably God used someone in your life in the past that led you to more faith in him or salvation in him or led you to confess your sins and your need for him for the first time. You have no idea what hardship that person probably was going through in their season. You may never know the difficult, dark time of that person that God used to lead you to more faith in Christ. God might use you in that same way in the middle of your dark season. Or some people call it, you are a wounded healer because of the power of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God in you. You don't have to have a perfect life right now for God to use you. You'd be waiting a long time if that's your standard. God uses us wounded healers to point to his goodness, to point to his grace. You are to represent his goodness. So represent him. You may not have chosen the circumstances, but God will use you to sing that note in this season. God will take your obedience and use it for his glory. See, as we looked at the story of Jonah, we were looking for signs of God's words, not just to inform us, but to transform us. And it reminds us that in this Old Testament book, we can see Jesus, right? 
And in fact, Tim Keller talks about seeing Jesus throughout the Old Testament. I want to remind you of what he says. He says that Jesus is the true and better Adam from the very beginning of the Bible who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. And we see that Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out for our acquittal, not our condemnation. And Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave the comfortable and leave the familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. And Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. And Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled with God and took the blow of justice that we deserved so that we would receive only the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. But Jesus is a true and better Joseph also, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. And Jesus is a true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. And Jesus is the true and better Job, who the truly innocent suffer, who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory become his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but Jesus actually gave his life to save his people. And then Keller says, and Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we can be brought in. See, the entire Bible is really all pointing to the person of Jesus. Jesus himself in the book of Matthew, I believe, says, someone greater than Jonah is here. Because Jesus is the true and better Jonah. Because Jonah was commanded to preach the word of God, but Jesus came as the word of God. Jonah says, I'd rather die than go to those sinners, but Jesus actually did die for those sinners. Jonah was thrown into the sea to appease God, and Jesus was thrown into the sea of God's wrath for our sin. Jonah was in the belly of the fish and was vomited out. And Jesus was in the belly of the grave for three days and was resurrected out. Jesus was right. Someone greater than Jonah was here. You see, because Jonah preached and the king said, who knows, maybe God will relent. But Jesus preached and promised us forgiveness. See, Jonah saw a king get off his throne, but Jesus is the true king of kings and leads us towards true repentance. God used Jonah to save and turn their hearts from one nation to him. But God used Jesus to share to every nation that if you repent and put your faith in Christ, salvation will come. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here, and his name is Jesus. And that's what we come to this table because someone greater than Jonah truly is here as we partake of the bread and of the cup. See, every time you read the Old Testament, you can't help 
but think about Jesus. It's not just the book of Jonah. It's the whole thing. You know, when you read about the prophet Isaiah or the priest Melchizedek or the King Solomon, they all end up pointing to a Messiah who himself is the perfect prophet, priest, and king. And when you read in the Old Testament about a Passover lamb who takes away the sin of Israel, guess who it's pointing to? The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we come to the table and we remember the one, the true and greater Jonah, Jesus, the one who did not fail his mission, the one who was faithful to be fully obedient, the one who put his trust in God alone, the true and better sacrifice that gives us ultimate lasting freedom. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. If you close your eyes, those at home as well, let's close our eyes. We're going to have a time of silent confession before you partake in these elements. Lord Jesus, hear us as we confess our sins that we might believe we confess our sins that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hear us, Lord, as we pray. Oh Lord, in many ways, the silence is never long enough. The list is long, the ways that we fail to trust you, the ways that we partially obey, the way we twist your word, the way that we point fingers at others instead of ourselves, the ways that we refuse to sing the one note you've given us. Thank you, Lord, that in Jesus Christ, for all of us, all of us children of God who have confessed our sins, who've put our faith in you, Lord, that we will never cease to be forgiven. Lord, thank you for forgiving all of our past sins, that in you, Christ, forgiving all of our future sins. Thank you, Jesus. Only in you, by confessing and putting our faith in you, do we have this promise. As we come to your table, we remember you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.